If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter uh, 3. Uh, we're going to read some verses there, and I've got a lot of stuff to cover. And uh, I want to encourage you, again, the notes for weekends, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, they're always on the YouVersion app. Uh, that's where all of my scriptures are at. Uh, so you can look those up on the YouVersion app. Just go to live, find Tomoka, and all of the scriptures that we use are always there if you want to if you want to locate them. So First John chapter uh, 3, I'm going to ask you to stand out of respect for God's word. And we're just going to read a handful of these verses together. And uh, then we're going to try to walk through some of this stuff. All right. First John chapter three, John writes these words. He says, and this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands, the command to, to know Jesus, right? The command to love others. He says, those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. One thing identifies you as a believer. One, when God looks at you, he doesn't look at the color of your skin. He doesn't look at your bank account. He doesn't look at your past. He doesn't look at present. He looks at one thing, the person of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you belong to him. Amen, church? That's why we're all the same, right? Dear friends, don't believe. Listen to this. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, right? But test the spirits to see whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God, right? This is how you can do it. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that doesn't acknowledge that Jesus is from God, right? But every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the what? Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and he is now already in the world. You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, the spirit that is in you is greater than the spirit that's in the world. Right? Amen. He says they are from the world and therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. Implication, those who are of God shouldn't listen to them, right? We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God doesn't listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. You guys can grab a seat. All right, so I'm going to just teach like I teach on my class on Saturday night. So if you're running the camera, I apologize. I'm going to be back and forth here. Uh, so let's just start with a, a line. This is God's creation timeline. God isn't bound by a timeline. God doesn't have a timeline, right? He's not bound by time. But our creation has a timeline, right? There is a moment in time where God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? Right? It's the fundamental act of God in our world today. Right? The most fundamental thing, right? The most identifying thing that God did to expose himself to you, all right, and to me is he created everything. Right? Romans says that everything about God's invisible attributes, right? His invisible attributes, his eternal power, right? All of these things that make God, they're visible through his creation. Why do you think Satan works so hard to take creation out of being taught? Because if you can remove creation, from God's introduction, it's easy to not believe in God. 
But everything has a point of origin here. Genesis teaches us that point of origin. We believe in a literal six-day creation, right? This is where it began. Really quickly after that, in Genesis chapter 3, we have a little problem, don't we? We get introduced to this entity called Satan. And who is he? Well, according to Scripture, he's an angel whom God created named Lucifer who decided that being close to God made him desirous of wanting to be God. He saw it. And in Isaiah and Ezekiel, we hear his heart. He wanted what God had for himself. And he convinced a third of God's created angelic beings to rally behind him. The first division of God's people ever. We've been having church splits since the very beginning, right? So these people followed him. Genesis 3 tells us of Satan's activity now in God's creation. He picks a moment in time to enter into God's creation and he tells Eve a lie. Did God really say that you can't, you can't eat this tree? And Eve said, he didn't just say we can't eat it. He said we can't even touch it because if we do, we're going to die. And Satan said, there's a reason why he doesn't want you to do that. It's because if you eat of that tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like him. And that's exactly what happened. Eve ate of the fruit. She got Adam to eat of the fruit. And when God shows up at the end of Genesis 3, here's what we find out. They've become like one of them, knowing good and evil. Human beings created in the image of God were never... Everybody say the word never. We're never designed to know good and evil. Ever. Because guess what we've done with good and evil? Teen Challenge, you want to answer what we do with the knowledge of good and evil? Right? We're all prone to do some evil, aren't we? There's not a person in here, there's not a person online that doesn't understand being exposed to the knowledge of good and evil is where we lost hope. Because every person exposed to it is eventually going to choose what? Evil. We were never supposed to know that. So God kicked us out of the garden and now we've got a problem because now the knowledge of good and evil has infiltrated us. We've created, created beings who now have the knowledge of God and we're terrible with it. And so we sin and we fall short of God's glory. And now God promises in Genesis 3.15, right, the very first prophecy. And he says to Satan this, you're going to go down. You're going to get crushed. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to use a man, an offspring of Eve, who's a male, who's going to crush your head. Genesis 3.15 is the very first prophecy, the most important scripture to understand the story, because everything from that, everything from this book flows from that one verse. It's about that promise being kept. Because if God can keep his promise, he crushes Satan. If Satan can get God to fail at the promise, God's a liar, he can't be God. Does that make sense to everybody, yes or no? Right? The most important verse in scripture for us as humans is Genesis 3.15 because it lets us know what the story's about. So the fight's on. The fight is on to bring about this seed who we ultimately know is who? Jesus. And Jesus is the person... Who the story is ultimately about. 
And so history goes. We've got the Old Testament, right? We've got all these Old Testament stories and what's happening. Satan's trying to kill this person. Every chance he gets, he's trying to kill the seed. Wipe out Israel. Wipe out people. If I could kill the seed, I could kill these, I could kill this promise. So the whole Old Testament is this drama being played out at a spiritual level on earth's surface where this seed is being moved from Canaan to Egypt and back to Canaan and it goes into Babylon. It goes ever This seed moves and Satan's trying to kill it because what's at stake? Being God. Do you realize Satan has no interest in you? None. He only wants one thing and that's to be what? He just wants to be God. And he will use all of us. He can. He'll use all of you online. He'll use your children, your grandchildren. He will use all of you up. He could care less. He simply wants to be God. And so this story is about this seed throughout the Old Testament. At some point in time, the Old Testament ends and we get a New Testament. And guess who's the first person that shows up? Jesus. He shows up in person. This thing we've been trying to kill for all those years shows up in person. So now we get to come face to face with him. And he's here and those who are working for the devil hate him. And eventually they do what to him? Come on, say it. They do what? Right? At some point in time, they crucify him. They bury him. And guess what happens? He rises from the dead. Hebrews chapter 2 says, God destroyed him who held the power of death. That is the devil. Destroyed him. Made him impotent because now he has no power over you because your sin and my sin destined us to an eternity away from God. Jesus came and said, I'll pay that for them. Now, if they believe in me, they can spend eternity with you. Satan's got no power over that. Amen. Church got no power over that. Irregardless of how dumb we act, Satan has no power over Jesus giving us eternal life. Amen. And the reason is, is because of what we celebrated on Easter. That tomb is what? It's empty. There's no power in death. If we stand behind Jesus or we stand with Jesus or if I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. He says, the life I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in who? The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As long as you're covered in Jesus, Satan has no power over you. Sin has no power over you. Death has no power over you. And then Jesus, after he resurrected, where did he go? He went up to heaven where he sits at God's right hand. And now, here we are. And everybody wants to know, when's this thing going to (laughs) end? Right? When's this thing going to end? And here's what the Bible tells us. It does not give us a date when it's going to happen, but it tells us how it's going to happen. We know exactly how it's going to happen. And that's why I want to tell you about the Antichrist. So let's just read some verses together. Okay. When I teach this on, when I taught this at Saturday night, uh, I think it took me eight weeks, nine weeks to go through all of this. You're going to get it in 15 minutes. Okay. So, 
There's two things I want to cover real quickly. One, here's the first one. There is an antichrist coming. Everybody read that with, or everybody say this with me. There is an antichrist coming. Large A, there's an antichrist coming. Listen, we've got God, we've got Jesus, we've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the Holy Trinity. Listen, we've got Satan, we've got the Antichrist, and we've got the false prophet, the unholy trinity. They're coming. Why? Because Satan wants to be who? He wants to be God. And so he's counterfeit, so he's got his trinity. And the Antichrist is Satan's right-hand man, and he's coming. Now, John tells us the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. And what is the spirit of Antichrist? It's this, anyone who denies that Jesus is who he said he was. That is an Antichrist spirit. You can look at any religion across the globe. Anyone that denies Jesus' deity, denies Jesus' reality of who he is as God's incarnate son, that's a spirit of what? That's a spirit of Antichrist. Don't mess with those religions. Stay as far away from them as you can get because they are 100% evil. They have no interest in the truth, right? But there is a large A Antichrist coming. But only four times in Scripture is the word even mentioned. And that's all in John's writing, First and Second John. But there's lots of other ways the Antichrist is described. Let's read some verses. I'm going to read First John 2, 18 real quick and 19. Dear children, it's the last hour, right? Not like, 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 not like right now. He's talking about a period of time. And ultimately, we're going to find out that the last hour is the church age, right? He says this is the last hour. And as you've heard, that the what is coming... The Antichrist is coming. Listen, there is an Antichrist coming. You can take those verses off, right? There's an Antichrist coming. The question is, when is he coming? Listen, we're told in Scripture we won't know the day or the hour that Jesus is coming, the real Christ. But we can know when the Antichrist is coming. Let's read some Scriptures together. All right? Go to Daniel 7. David, let's read some verses here. All right, so Daniel chapter 7. We're going to basically read way too many verses in this chapter for your own good, Okay? But I want to encourage you to write this down. So Daniel chapter 7, Daniel's having a dream. This is the dream, and here's the quick interpretation. Let's read the scriptures. Daniel says, After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast. Right? He's already had a vision of three. This fourth beast, he says, was terrifying, frightening, and very powerful. It had large iron teeth, and it crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the other former beasts, and it had how many horns? Ten horns, right? So ultimately what you're going to find if you read scripture is the first three beasts represent three empires. Babylon, the Medes, Persians, and the Greek Empire. The Roman Empire hasn't happened, right? And ultimately this this fourth beast, this fourth empire on the earth represents the Roman Empire. Led by all of those horrific leaders, right? The time of Jesus was ruled by that fourth empire. It will be the empire that rules again one day on this earth. The representation of that empire. He says, while I was thinking about the horns, this is Daniel, a human being like you and me is having this vision. There before me was another horn, a little horn, which came up among these 10. And three of those horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke what? Boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place. Now listen, you're going to get the, you're going to get the clear image here. We're talking about end time stuff. 
So this image of the fourth beast and the ten horns and the little horn are 100% connected to end times prophecy. Because look what he says. Daniel says, I looked and the thrones were set in place and the ancient of days takes his seat. And you're going to see that imagery happen in Revelation. His clothing is white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. He says a river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him and thousands upon thousands attended him. The ancient of days, God himself is sitting on his throne and he's trying to describe all that he's seeing in this vision. And he said 10,000 times, 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated. And what happens? The books are open. Listen, it doesn't take you very much, doesn't take very long to look and see where the books get opened. They get opened at the day of what? The day of judgment. The great white throne of judgment. Daniel's having a vision of end times. So look what he says in verse 11. He said, I continue to watch because of the boastful words. Remember, everybody say the word boastful. Listen, that's a, that's a theme of this little horn. Right? The boastful horn, right? The boastful words of the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain. The beast gets slain, the body destroyed, and is thrown where? Into a blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. He said, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority. See if this person is identifiable to you. Right? One who looks like the Son of Man, who approaches God, who says all authority has been given to you, glory and sovereign power, all peoples, nations, and men of every language worship Him. Who do you think this person is? Come on, say it. It's Jesus. He says His dominion is what kind of a dominion? Everlasting. It won't pass away, and His kingdom is one that will be destroyed. Daniel's seeing a vision of end times. He goes on. He says, I, Daniel, was troubled. Can you imagine? Having this vision at night, I guess you would be troubled too, right? Some of you dream about dumb stuff and you're troubled, right? Some of you dream something stupid your spouse did and you wake up and you're mad at him for three days, right? Daniel says, I was troubled in my spirit and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. And I repro- he said, I approached one of those standing there and I asked him, I need you to explain this to me, right? So he told me and he gave me the interpretation of what I had seen. And he says, the four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise on the earth. Babylon, Mede-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire with Alexander the Great, and the Roman Empire. And he says, but the saints, the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it. How long? And yes, forever and ever. We're at end times prophecy. He goes on to say, I wanted to know, in verse 19, I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast. Because it was scarier than all of them. He said, I want to know, he said, that fourth beast. Bring that verse back up just a minute, David. Fourth beast, which was different from all the others, the most terrifying, with its iron teeth, its bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot what was left. I want to understand that beast. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the little horn that came up, before which three of the ten horns fall, and the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes And a mouth that spoke what? Boastfully. He said, I watched and this horn was waging war against two, the saints, and he was defeating them until the ancient of days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the what? When they possessed the kingdom. He goes on in verse 23 and he says this, he gave me this explanation. 
The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all other kingdoms and will devour what? The whole earth. The whole earth. It will trample it down and it will crush it. The ten horns are ten kings who come from that kingdom. And among them, another king will arise who's different from the earlier ones. And he will subdue three of them. He's going he's to take authority from those three kings and there will be seven of them left. He'll speak against two. The Most High. And he'll oppress who? The saints. And try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years. He goes on to say this, verse 26. But the court, remember the court? The thrones and the books get opened. He says the court's going to sit. And the power, his power will be taken away and completely destroyed for how long? Forever. The sovereignty, the power, and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints. Says the people of the Most High, his kingdom will be an, how kind of kingdom? An everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but they kept the matter to myself. Daniel 7 is an end time prophecy. And he makes it very clear. There's coming a time where there's going to be a fourth kingdom and that kingdom is going to... Attack the saints, trash God, and change all the times and the laws regarding worshiping him. But eventually that time will end and God's kingdom will be established for how long? Forever. We know that's coming. The question is, when's it coming? Listen to what Daniel 9 says. Right? Because I was going to say, does anybody else need to, to write this down? But how would you write it down, right? Because now he's going to explain the entire... How many of you have ever studied the book of Revelation? How many of you studied to the point you think you understand some of it? Right? Right? So, let's make a timeline here. Okay? And listen to what Daniel 9 says. Okay? Verse 1. Context is king. Everybody agree with that? If you're going to understand the conversation, you need the what? You need the context. Listen, you've got to understand Scripture in context. If you read it out of context, it's never going to make any sense to you. Daniel 9, chapter 1 says this, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. So we know the context. We know where we're at. We're in Babylon, right, under this ruler. It was in his first year. Daniel understood from the Scriptures, right? So Daniel's going to read this from a scroll that Jeremiah wrote that we have in this book. He says, I understand from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet. So Daniel didn't make this up. He didn't see this. He read this, right, from Jeremiah, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last how long? So Daniel is in Babylon. He's longing for his home country. He wants to know how long it's going to be before it ever gets restored. He reads from Jeremiah the prophet. It's going to take 70 years. He knows that. So Daniel begins to pray. Verse 3. So I turned to the Lord and I pleaded with him in prayer and petitioned in fasting and in sackcloth and in ashes. And you read that prayer and here's what you find out. Daniel confesses the sins of Israel and ultimately he prays for God to deal with Israel. He prays for Jerusalem. He prays for the temple. He prays for God's people. This prayer is very specific. You know who Daniel didn't pray about? He didn't pray about you. So this verse isn't about who? It's not about me. 
He didn't pray for you. He didn't pray for Tomoka Christian Church. He didn't even pray for America. He prayed for Israel. He prayed for Jerusalem. He prayed for the people of it. And he prayed for God's holy sanctuary. That's what he prayed for. And he basically said, God, what happened to Israel or Jerusalem is our fault. We confess our sins. But please, God, hear us. Respond to us. Act on our behalf. And restore this nation. And restore this people. And restore this city. And restore this place. Everybody clear on that? Look what happens in verse 20. While I was speaking and praying. So Daniel's praying to God and he's speaking about what country? What people? The Jews. What city? And what place? Temple. Everybody got that? While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, making my request to Lord my God for his holy hill, Jerusalem... While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision, right? So an angel comes in the form of a man or presents himself as a man to Daniel so he doesn't freak him out. Because if you actually ever saw an angel in its real form, you would be terrified, right? You would be overwhelmed. So he appears as a man to Daniel. His name is Gabriel. He came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He says, he instructed me and he said to me, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. Because as soon as you began to pray about what? What nation? Come on, everybody say that. Israel. What, what people? The Jews. What city? And what place? He says, as soon as you began to pray about those things, he says, an answer was given to your prayer. And I've come to tell you for your highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand this vision. Because Daniel wants to know about Israel. He wants to know about the Jews. He wants to know about Jerusalem. And he wants to know about the temple. He isn't asking about America. He isn't asking about Russia. He isn't asking about any of that. And he's certainly not asking about us. And so here's what we're going to get. We're going to get the answer to Daniel's prayer about his people. And here's what he says. 77s. Everybody say 77s. So 70. And this is what it says in the Hebrew. 77s. That's how it's identified. It doesn't tell us what those 77s are. It just says 77s. So you and I have got to use our brain and read the book to figure out what 77s are. He says 77s are decreed for your what? Your people. Which people? The Jewish people. Everybody say the Jewish people. He said, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy what? So for the people and for what city? Jerusalem. And he says, and he's going to give them six things that have to happen. Six things. He said, 77. So you got 70 of these for these six things to take place regarding Israel, regarding Jews regarding Jerusalem and regarding the temple. Everybody got that? 70 of these. And then he says this. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, right? To atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So let me ask you a question, church. Regarding Israel, the Jews, Jerusalem, and the temple. Have we put an end to sin in that area? Yes or no? No. 
So one, let's just start with that one. One of these six is not done. So are the 77's done yet? Everybody got that, right? He said, I'm going to give you 70 of these to finish these six things. The very first one, is it done or not? Oh, do you think there's sin still in Israel? Yes or no? Do you think there's sin still in Jerusalem? Yes. Do you think there's sin in God's holy people, his Jew, the Jewish people? Yes or no? So it's not done. So we've still got something left here. So here's what he says. No one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So at some point in time, we're going to mark on a map. Because now he's going to tell you how to measure 77s. He says, from this point here, which was to issue this decree, right? To build what city? Come on, what city? Jerusalem. So he says to build this city, Jerusalem, until what? Until the what? Everybody say anointed one. To, to a point here, right? The anointed one. Anointed one. Everybody go on, right? He says this about that period. The anointed one, the ruler comes, right? So the anointed one comes. He says this. There will be how many? So seven of these sevens plus what? Come on, read it. 62 of these sevens. So now he says, you, you could measure, because if this is when the issue, and you can go to Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 8, where Artaxerxes issues a decree to Nehemiah to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. And you can measure on a calendar from this date. So if there's seven of these and 62 of these, seven plus 62 equals how many? 69 what? Seven. So if you take 69 times seven, you get 483. 483 what? Everybody say years. So from the time that this decree by Artaxerxes was given to Nehemiah, if you measure 483 years out, you come to the 10th of Avid, 30 AD, on the calendar. And guess what happens on the 10th of Avid, 30 AD, on the calendar? Jesus enters Jerusalem during the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. And what did they do that day? They anointed him as what? They threw palm branches down and they said, Hosanna, son of David, save us. 483 years passed from when Nehemiah got the permission to build till Jesus enters the city on the triumphal entry day. The problem is we've got 70 of these sevens, right? So how many are left? Everybody say one, right? From the time of this to the time of that, we count it consecutively and chronologically. Just look it up. You can study it yourself, right? Don't have to trust me. What does Joe always say, which we all hate as pastors? He says, never trust a what? He's crazy, right? 
We're all in the back going, he's got to stop saying that, right? But don't trust me, right? Go look it up. 483 years ago, right? Here's the problem. We still got one seven left. And now we know these sevens represent seven years. The problem is 30 AD to 2022 is 1,992 years. Is that seven? Is that seven years? Why all of a sudden, why were we counting 483 years in a row? And now when we've got one left, we're up to 1,992. And how is there, is there an end of sin in Jerusalem? Is there an end of transgression in Jerusalem? Is there everlasting righteous in Jerusalem? No. So what happened? Here's what happened. What is happening here? At this part, at 30 AD, till present, we stopped counting. We're not counting those seven sevens anymore. Guess what's happening instead? Jesus said to you and me as the church, go where? To all the world and do what? Make disciples. All authority I'm giving to you, now go make disciples. And then he promised he would come back one day. And so what's happened is we're now in the midst of what is known as the church age. And we have one, one job. That's to tell people about what? Tell Jesus about Jesus. That's it. And we don't have time, but if you read Romans chapter 11, there's a number of Gentiles that has to be fulfilled. And when that number is reached, the church age is over. And guess what we're going to start doing then? We're going to start counting the final seven. And guess who's going to make his appearance? The Antichrist. He's going to show up. The book of Revelation is simply from chapter 4 to chapter 22, a book about those final seven years. That's all it is. And when do those seven years happen? They happen when the church gets done with this job. Do you think the church has done a very good job over the years reaching people for Jesus? No, we've argued about the music's too loud. I don't like the color of the chair. Right? Churches are too big. We need smaller churches. Why is the pastor in jeans and not in a suit? Why is he preaching so short? He should preach a lot longer. Right? Oh, sorry. That's it. That's, that's just a dream of mine. That's just a dream of mine. Right? Right? Listen, Martin Luther had a dream. Martin Luther King had a dream. I have a dream too. Right? But listen, why do you think it's been so hard for churches? Because there's an enemy who knows that when we reach the number, we're seven years closer. Because listen, I'm telling you this. And we, we you, listen, you want to go through this? Come to one of my classes, we'll walk through this. And listen, I'm not saying I'm right about everything, but I'm telling you this. There's one seven-year period left for Israel. And before that seven-year period can, be in, can begin, the church has got to do a better job. Because there's a number of Gentiles. And when the number is reached, we're done. Which is why we believe in the rapture of the church. We believe that when God is done with the church, the church is raptured, the Antichrist appears, and the seven-year count begins. And at the middle of that seven-year period, the Antichrist is going to stop pretending that he's a good guy and he's going to show the whole world who he is. Jesus called it in Matthew 24, 15, when you see the abomination of desolation. Paul describes it in 2 Thessalonians 2. Antichrist is simply going to walk into a temple that gets rebuilt. He's going to set himself in the middle of the temple and he's going to ask to be worshipped as God. 
That's the abomination of desolations. And I want to believe the church is gone because if you read Revelation and you hear what happens, it's going to be awful. You want to know why we tell you all the time, do more, give more, serve more, pray more? We got a job to do. We got a job to do. The job isn't for us to argue and to fuss and to fight. Our, our, our job isn't to get bogged down with the stupidity of the, of the United States of America. Our job is to focus on an everlasting kingdom. And guess what? The only job of us is to teach that, right, or to teach them about Jesus. And so John says to this church, listen, you've got to understand something. There is an antichrist spirit that doesn't want Jesus taught. Doesn't want it taught. Right? We, listen, never going to find us apologizing or asking, listen, Teen Challenge is going to be out there. We're going to ask everyone if you go out there and become a partner of that ministry. I mean, look, look at the, the, the test. That was just, that was, how long was the testimony? Five minutes? How long could you have talked? Five hours? Five days? Right? And that's one testimony. There's been thousands of testimonies. And they all are about one person. Not about him. The story is about who? It's about Jesus. The job of the church. Right, I see Stacy sitting out here. Stacy works with a ministry that has found a way to communicate the gospel to countries you couldn't imagine going into, right? And doing it to a deaf community in a way that they are understanding Jesus. That's why we support it. That's why we want, listen, our job is, the church only has one job. It's why I love Tomoka. Listen, when you make something about one thing and only one thing only, it's going to be hard to keep people on point. People are like, well, you guys always talk about the same thing. Of course we do. It's the only thing we know to talk about. Right? And when you do something great with it, we're going to celebrate it. But the minute we celebrate it, come on, man, let's move on. Because guess what? The Antichrist is coming. He's coming. We know exactly when he's coming. He's coming when the church is done with its job. And when the church is done with its job, we get to get out of here. But we won't get out of here until we tell the whole world so the number can be reached. But Daniel makes it clear there are 69 sevens already counted. There's one left. We're at 1,992 years. Guess what? God stopped stopped counting. He's no longer counting on Israel. He's counting for the church. But the church doesn't have a timeline. It has a number of souls to be reached for the gospel. And when that number gets reached, we get to get out of here and God begins to count again. And then seven years later, Jesus returns. And the Bible describes him in Revelation sitting on a white horse. And his name is on his leg. And that name on his leg doesn't say Jesus. Because that's the name his mama gave him. The name on his leg says, Word of God. And he simply opens his mouth. And he wipes the enemy out. You want to know why Satan doesn't have any power? Right? He's powerless against the Word of God. That day is coming. And the reason why I think we should teach Revelation isn't so that you can become a freak about being a hoarder and build, build a bunker in a mountain somewhere. We teach it because when we understand what's happening, you can understand why we say the church doesn't have a mission. God has sent the church on his mission. And that's to go and make disciples of all the nations because the Antichrist is coming Satan's not playing. He wants to be God. And God's going to give him a chance to make his play. We know he's going to make his play in heaven. Revelation tells us he's going to. And Michael's going to kick his tail out of heaven. Then he's coming here. And he's going to attack the nations. He's going to destroy people. And he's going to martyr saints across the globe. And eventually Jesus is showing up. And he is wiping him 
and the Antichrist and the beast out and throwing them into eternal punishment forever. And then we get to experience heaven on earth for all eternity where there's no more pain and no more sour and no more mourning. But what do you do in the meantime? Don't become a freak about the end times. Become a freak about doing what it takes to usher it in. If you're not serving, serve. If you're not giving, give. If you're not, if you're not going, go. If you're not praying, pray. Because we got work to do, church. And you might think it's boring, but we think it's the most exciting thing in the world to do. So we want you to be a part of it. That's why we love Teen Challenge coming. These men were lost. They were simply in complete bondage to what the enemy wanted for them. And he was going to use them and discard them. And they found Jesus. Now they have a purpose. That guy, that guy over there whose life was a disaster and you only got the cliff notes of it, stood on this stage. Do you know how many pastors don't ever preach before a crowd this big? That guy got to preach to this crowd because he's got a story for Jesus, right? He's got a story for Jesus. Listen, you got a story for Jesus. So stop talking about the government. Stop talking about your president. Stop talking about left and right. Stop talking about all of these things and start talking about your savior. Because it's the only thing that matters, right? All right, let's pray. Uh, next week, we'll do First John 4. Uh, we will get to testing the spirits next week. Father, thank you for Jesus. We know he's coming. We know he's coming. But it won't come before Satan brings hell to this earth. And it won't come before you pour out your judgment on that hell. And there are people we know and love. There are people that we know and love that do not know you. Who've never accepted Jesus as the free gift that he is. They're still trying to earn their way. They're still trying to prove their worth. Father, there's people that have lost all hope. Man, I just pray that you take the people in this room, the people online, Lord, who've already accepted Jesus. And man, you put us on a focused path. And that's to stop being judges, to stop being nitpicky, to stop being hypocritical, to stop being self-righteous. And just start telling the reason that we have hope in this man, Jesus. So, Father, I'm so grateful. That we live in a world where it may feel dark, but that white horse is coming. And your son, the word of God, will be sitting on that thing. And all of these forces that we think are so overwhelming will simply fall at the breath of his mouth. We don't just serve a risen Savior. We serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Help us to know, Father, that because of that, we are overcomers. And there's nothing on this earth that Satan can have that can throw at us that will dissuade us from our mission and our purpose. So, Father, for every parent in this room, every grandparent in this room, every person that's struggling, that's in bondage, that's lost hope, Father, anybody that in here that doesn't have any idea what their purpose is, Lord, Lord, would you direct them and show them? Because we have work to do. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for this group. Thank you for Team Challenge. Lord, would you bless these men and their journey? They're certainly not done. You tell us that the work that you began, you're going to complete it. So, Father, complete this, complete your work in these men. Use them to tell the story of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church.